Good evening, everybody. Good to see y'all here tonight. Thanks for joining us here on campus at Grace Church of Central. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? Awesome. Appreciate that. Pastor asked me just a little while ago, is it, does it feel like Christmas yet? And I'm like, yeah, it, it kind of does. It kind of feels like Christmas, and I like it. I like the feeling. I like it whenever it feels like Christmas. But um, looking forward to a holiday season. I, I am. I am, and all of the things that go with it. I want to make just a few announcements this evening. First of all, we want to remind you that uh, Sunday, December 19th at 11 a.m. is our Christmas service. A lot of things planned, a lot of things on the schedule, going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll minister to you as well. If you can, bring somebody with you, invite them to come. It's going to be a great service on the 19th. Also, on the 19th, we will receive our Christmas for Christ offering, and uh, there are still some very special envelopes available for you in the lobby if you haven't picked one up yet. And we want to make this announcement one more time. Please make sure that the church office has your updated address as we prepare to send out end-of-year financial statements. We want to make sure that you get the information that you need. So if you're at home and you are watching us on live stream and you haven't sent in your updated information yet, please do that. We want to make sure that we can get you the, the financial information that you need. Before Pastor comes this evening, I just want to take a moment to encourage you. Um, I could use some encouragement. I, I need some encouragement. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. In the Amplified Version, it says this. It says, let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. Now we're charged there to hold to our hope and hold to it tightly and hold to it unwaveringly. And that is a challenge today, to hold to hope sometimes. But it's not just our responsibility to hold to hope because we know that the one who made the promise to begin with is trustworthy and faithful and will do what he promised to do. You know, as we enter into the Christmas season, uh, people talk a lot, a lot about the magic of Christmas, and I guess there's some truth to that. There's, there's a certain magical feel to the Christmas season, but it's a miraculous time. It's a miraculous time. Whenever the God of heaven robed himself in flesh and came as a baby in a manger, I don't understand it. don't necessarily know all of the ins and outs of why he decided to do it that way. But what an incredible miracle. And what a great way for him to show, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to demonstrate my love for you. Not just a magical time, but a miraculous time. Amen. Hold to the hope that you have. Hold to it tightly because he is trustworthy and faithful. God bless you this evening. Good evening, everybody. Great to see you tonight. Thank you so very much for coming out on Wednesday night for Bible study. <clears throat> and uh, tonight is going to be a, um, to me, it's going to be an excellent Bible study. <clears throat> and uh, I hope you feel the same 
when we conclude here tonight. But I've come tonight uh, with something to say. And uh, I'd appreciate uh, you lending me your ear for the next little while as we begin Bible study tonight. <clears throat> I brought to the pulpit with me tonight several Bibles. And uh, somebody asked me, why have you brought so many Bibles to the pulpit? I, you've heard the statement, somebody couldn't tell the truth with their hand on a stack of Bibles or standing on a stack of Bibles. I just want to see if that was true here tonight. That's not the reason I brought all these Bibles. The reason I brought them to the pulpit tonight is, uh, is because they're old. They're old Bibles. Um, they're keepsakes. Uh, I've ha I have had two Bibles that I preached out of for years. One was a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. One was a Schofield Reference Bible. And I've given both of them to my two grandsons in hopes that one day when they're of age they'll have some appreciation for it. The Bibles that I'm going to describe to you now, I don't know if anybody would really want them outside of me. And I cherish them. This Bible right here was given to me by my brother Jim and uh, his first wife on my birthday in 1965. And I wouldn't take anything for it. I carried it to church. I marked it up. And as far as I know, if my memory serves me right, this is the last Bible that my daddy read before he died. And there's four verses in Psalm 118 that he put an X by each one and said the Lord showed him this the night before he went to surgery and uh, he passed away just a few days later. So because of that and my dad's input into that Bible, it is certainly uh, will be a keepsake for me uh, for the rest of my life. <clears throat> this Bible was given to me by my sister, Claudine, in 1972. Uh, it is now what I would consider to be an old Bible. This is another Bible that I truly, truly cherish. Um, wouldn't take anything for it. I, I've quit using it because it's broken. The back of it is broken. I could have it repaired, but I kind of like it the way it is right now. But my home church, the First Pentecostal Church of Baton Rouge, gave me this Bible on the 18th of May, 1975, when I graduated from high school wouldn't take anything for these Bibles. But this one here, I inherited. I'm not sure how, other than, as far as I know, when my mother passed away and we were going through all of her things, nobody really asked for this Bible. I'm, I've, I went through it a little bit today. Uh, I found a Harvest Time, the old radio program of the United Pentecostal Church, I found an old, I guess you'd call it a little bit of a newsletter for January through March 1968. It's still in this Bible. Um, I, I looked through it as best I could, and uh, the most recent date, copyright date in this Bible is 1950. So I'm going to assume that it's somewhere around 70 years old and maybe even a little bit older than that but this is an old old family bible as a kid I scribbled in this bible I remember doing it 
We lived in downtown Baton Rouge on America Street. And I snuck this Bible off the top of our coffee table and crawled up underneath our coffee table like I was hiding. And I just took an ink pen and went to town in this thing. I wasn't writing letters, wasn't writing words, I wasn't drawing pictures. I was just scribbling, just, and they're in here. Those are still in here. Um, this Bible is a real treasure. <clears throat> but I've brought all four of these Bibles with me tonight to the pulpit to describe and to emphasize the fact that they are so old. Um, and because they're old and they're ragged, just through time and um, kids scribbling, uh, going through them, not really taking care of them, uh, etc. Um, nobody else, I guess, really wanted them. And so outside of my interest, as I just described to you tonight, um, they're not, they don't really have any value to anybody else but me. I want to launch into my presentation tonight. And um, <clears throat> I want to open with a scripture reading found in Ezekiel 33 and verse 6. <clears throat> but if the watchmen see the sword come, I want you to imagine back in Bible times, uh, way back in that day, you, you, you would have a city, they'd build a fortress around it, they'd build a wall around it, tall as they could, thick as they could, etc. You can think of Jericho. And uh, <clears throat> situated on top of the wall that went around the city was watchmen that would watch for the enemy to come. Any kind of threat that came to that city, it was their job to watch. And that's what this verse is describing. But if the watchman see the sword come, or an enemy is coming, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he's taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. It's because the watchman was negligent. I believe this verse still is applicable today and it's applicable to every pastor of every church we have a job to do as pastors it's difficult sometimes being a pastor because as a pastor you're a man or a woman but you're human and you're among that peer group of humans and uh, no humans are perfect etc and somehow God chose this way to proclaim the gospel, to teach people, to bring miracles and faith and hope and all of these things. But included in, this, in the job description of ministry, it's the pastor's job and obligation to watch for anything that would threaten the flock, if you will, that he's been called to be shepherd over. So tonight, as I have been doing over the past several weeks, on Wednesdays and Sundays, I'm still blowing the trumpet. <clears throat> What's vexing me 
uh, and, and has been an unbelievable burden. I shared this with somebody just a couple of days ago. Is nobody seems to be listening. Not, not the, the target audience that uh, I'm reaching after. Nobody seems to listen. I will say tonight very humbly that I do believe with all of my heart that I've been called to be the pastor of this church. And um, we have times with virtually everybody in this church that will sit down and visit with me for a little while. We'll laugh and cut up and we'll share funny things and jokes and what have you. But there are those times when the Spirit of the Lord moves on pastor and he delivers a word. It's not my word. It's his word. And we have an accountability to that. Everybody say yes. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight, and I, I'm, I'm trusting that I can spark your interest, those of you that feel like you can still pray, those of you that feel like you can still touch God. I want to title this, and, and Lord willing, next Wednesday night, Now is the Time to Fight, is what I want to present to you tonight, and I believe we should fight like we've never fought before to save our families, to save our kids, to save our marriage to save parents, all of the above. The apostolic pastor has a job to do. It's a very difficult one. He doesn't have the luxury of doing just the task that he likes. Pastor don't have that luxury. I've said before several months ago it would be wonderful to come here every service and just pass out big puffs of cotton candy to everybody. But that's not what God called me here to do. My responsibility is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. The Bible said, Paul instructed Timothy to preach the word. And we do that here to the best of our ability. To be instant in season. That's present in time of need. You don't vacate when there's a need. You stay present. You be instant in season. Then you... Be instant out of season, which is an inopportune time. So when your phone rings late at night or the phone rings, period, and catches you completely off guard with something that needs to be ministered to. He said to reprove, which is to challenge people. We try to do that here. He said to rebuke. This is probably the most difficult part of my pastoring, and that is to forbid when people want to do things and you have to say as pastor, no. And then he said to Timothy to exhort, that is to invite, invite, include, invite people into the Spirit of God, invite, invite people to the kingdom of God, etc. With all long suffering and patience, I feel like we do that here, and doctrine, which is teaching. For the time will come Paul said to Timothy for the time will come and it has arrived in our culture right now and it has arrived at Grace Church the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust or desires shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears the, the word there is tickled I want to find somebody that will teach me about Jesus, but the way I want it. I want them to teach me the Jesus that I want. 
somebody said that here at Grace Church, it got back to me not too long ago. And they shall turn away their ears from truth, and they shall be turned unto fables or fiction. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Tonight's presentation will be offensive to some people because it will confront your sin. And this is what you'll have a propensity to do. You'll want to get up and walk out. You're going to grab your phone real quick and you'll walk out and I won't see you come back in until church is over. That's happened on two Wednesday nights in the last month with several people. As soon as pastor started teaching, they had that emergency, unbelievable emergency with their phone. They went out and they never came back in. Others will think this is unwise to deal with, uh, will think that it's such sensitive issues in a church service that even though the media invades our homes and our office and our cars and our minds every day with their perspective, a lot of people feel like some of the things I'm going to teach tonight is not appropriate for a church audience. Even though the media, Hollywood, has their way all the time. Some will think we shouldn't talk about these things in front of our youth while all the time the world is indoctrinating them behind our backs with a fake tolerance and their own brand of amorality. Some will call this a hard-line presentation. I don't really think I'm a hard-line preacher. Some of you may think that. I don't. But I have to admit that with a lot of people today, the soft-line preaching doesn't work. Some may walk out of the service so the word of God cannot get to them to convict them, yet they'll go home and sit through movies that assault morality without being bothered in the least. We've even lived to see the day when people shop for churches, when people leave a church for the most unscriptural of reasons. The Lord led me somewhere else. Someone just told me recently. And then the real truth came out later is because we don't have single people their age for them to be interested in. So the Lord led them, I guess, somewhere where there were. I don't like a big church. That's half of 1% on a good day. People say, I just want to be fed. I just want to be used. Uh, people say, all you talk about is the lost. Uh, one big one we faced here at Grace Church is people don't like the worship. <clears throat> some, don't, some disagree with the standards that we teach. The reason I chuckle when I said that is I'll, I'll confess today, just out of sheer curiosity, I very rarely will bother to try to entertain myself by watching a football game somewhere. But I did watch the interview today of the new football coach at LSU. Just interested in it. He, made a st he, he, he repeated a statement. It was a press conference, and so reporters asked him questions, so he kept answering the same thing over and over. 
he said, we want high standards here. We want high standards. We want high standards. We want high standards. We want high standards. He said that over and over. So I wonder how many players won't play for him because they don't like his standards. I think they probably will no matter what his standards are. If it means a multi-million dollar contract in four years in the NFL, they'll live any way that's necessary. Am I offending anybody yet? I hope not. Some people say, I'm leaving the church because I don't like leaving a service feeling negative. I've heard people say that. I heard a pastor say one time, he sees to it, that nobody leaves his church services feeling negative. I call it people are feeling convicted, and that's what they don't really care for. I want you to notice what the Bible has to say about these, I believe, to be unscriptural reasons. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. <clears throat> Very compelling verse in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 19. Uh, the children of Israel said unto Moses speak thou with us and we will hear but let not God speak with us lest we die Paul asked the church at Galatians Galatians 4.16 am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth it's no secret to the faithful members of our local assembly that we have in recent months have come under a fierce attack from the enemy. As a matter of fact, you could probably say the past two years as I preached to you this past Sunday. I don't like to talk about it very much because I don't like to give our enemy credit or glory. But I do want to ask tonight, how many young people must fall into sin before we address it? How many times must volunteer ministries within our church be attacked to the point of discouragement before we stand up against the evil twins of gossip and criticism? How many marriages must go down in flames before we raise a voice to declare God's protective commandments with authority? And how far do we allow personal holiness to slip away from the Pentecostal movement before we stem the tide? The devil is not more powerful than our God. So I submit to you tonight, I stand here in the strength of the Holy Ghost, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and on the authority of God's word to fight back. <clears throat> I wonder tonight, are there any apostolics left who are indignant at the assault of the enemy on the church. Where are the redeemed who are still proud of their God and still mad at the devil? The psalmist said, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Isaiah 59, Isaiah said, So, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy 
shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So tonight and next Wednesday night, Lord willing, the watchman of this assembly will do his job and lift up a standard against the enemy. I want you I want to begin tonight in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. I want everybody to listen. This is not Pastor, this is not Glenn Murphy the human. This is the word of God. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, there won't be another Calvary to come and rescue you again. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that saith, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want everybody to listen here carefully tonight. One of the most successful schemes that the devil has ever launched against humanity is also his oldest scheme, that the word of God is optional. He told Eve in the Garden of Eden that day, you shall not surely die when God clearly said to her, if you eat of the forbidden fruit of that tree, you will die. And the devil comes in and says, no, you won't. And she apparently believed him. As a result, as a result of that, we now have Christians who attend churches, sing worship songs, listen to sermons, and feel saved. But they live in opposition to God's word. They trample underfoot the commandments they don't like. Nowhere is this more apparent than in our current callous disregard for God's commandments about marriage and sexual sin. Young people in our sex-saturated society, you don't stand much of a chance of remaining pure unless you make a commitment to live by God's guidelines regarding sex. Regardless of your failures in the past, you must you need to make a commitment to live by God's standards beginning today. The Bible teaches that sex is for marriage only, not outside marriage, and not before marriage. The Bible said to flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not of your, you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
know <laughs> there's a, a, a generation of, of people in our culture right now that this sounds so stupid that's the most ridiculous thing we had a president one of our presidents said uh, not, not too awfully long a year uh, not too awfully long ago that uh, the Bible's teaching on adultery is antiquated that you can't expect people to marry and stay with the same partner. So one of our presidents said that. The Bible teaches if you're not already married, you need to decide right now that you'll only marry another Christian. That is God's standard for you. The Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians 6.14 to be ye... Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? If I had not experienced this with so many people in, in the past years of ministry where they go outside of the faith, they find this good man, this good woman, and believe the same thing we do, I've been told over and over, um, and they get married anyway. And the problem comes when their kids are born as to how we're going to raise them. So they opt not to raise them anyway. They don't go to church anywhere. And our area right now is full of this. If you are married, you need to decide right now that adultery will never be an option. That is God's standard for you. It doesn't matter what your spouse does, what needs they don't meet, or what happens in your marriage, being faithful is God's commandment. He said, and I said unto, unto the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. This is what the Bible teaches. Marriage is a forever thing. And I'll present to you tonight <clears throat> that couples don't fall out of love, they fall out of repentance. Behind every case of marital dis dissatisfaction, lies unrepented sin that's why one divorce oftentimes leads to another one the sin still remained from whenever but it was carried into each relationship bible teaches therefore as the church is subject unto christ so let wives be to their own husbands and everything husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it god gave himself as a role model for a successful marriage by getting married himself in the Old Testament, he is a husband to Israel. In the New Testament, he is a husband to the church. And God hates divorce because he is married. And he has been faithful. He has been faithful to his beloved despite every conceivable obstacle. If you will tonight, God's marriage is a covenant marriage demonstrated by God's commitment to Abraham. God's marriage is a passionate marriage. Read the Song of Solomon. God's marriage is a fought-for marriage. Read the story of Hosea and Gomer. God's marriage is a giving marriage. He gave up all his rights on Calvary. God's marriage is a one-sided marriage. Yes, it is. His needs are often unmet. But he's still faithful. I believe tonight, in a, standing in the pulpit of an apostolic church, you shouldn't have to preach about adultery, but you have to today. 
That's because much of the adultery that goes on is not physical immorality at first, but emotional disloyalty. You don't just wake up one day with no feelings for your spouse. That happens when you allow a thousand little acts of disloyalty into your marriage over a long period of time. If this kind of preaching angers you, then ask yourself, why do you have such a problem with the commandments of God? Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Some people today want to make God in their image instead of letting God make them into his image. They rewrite the word of God according to their own opinion, conveniently ignoring the parts they consider optional. They do so to their own destruction. Paul said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk... <coughs> Excuse me. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame and whose mind, uh, who mind earthly things. So tonight I'm, I'm looking for a volunteer. I'm looking for that person that says, I don't really believe all of the Bible is applicable. I believe you can kind of pick and choose what parts of it you want to obey. Um, so if there's anybody here tonight that would like to volunteer, I brought a pair of scissors. And I've got this old, old family Bible. It's over 70 years old. It's all out of date anyway, right? It's so old, there's no way it can be relevant. So I'd like to have a volunteer tonight. And I'm going to call out some scriptures. And I'd like to put this Bible in your hand and you can cut those verses out. And then you can take this Bible home with you. And it can be the heirloom that you pass on to your kids like this Bible was passed on to me. Any volunteers? I didn't think so because we will say these things to people who agree with us and uh, I don't believe if I do this or if I don't do that I don't really believe it's going to send me to hell okay I'm going to call out some verses tonight and if you like you can come cut those verses out of this Bible take it home with you and when you die pass this Bible on to your kids and see how they do with it. I want to admonish here tonight. I would suggest people be real, real careful. Listen to what I'm about to say. I want to suggest people be real, real careful. When there was a time in your life when you professed to believe what this book said, and you lived it, and then all of a sudden you get this glorious revelation from God that, Nobody else in your church has gotten that it's okay all of a sudden for you just to cancel out 
pretty much all that you know, been taught, that you have lived in your past. I'm reaching hard tonight. I am reaching hard. I'm blowing the trumpet. I'm not being ugly. I'm not being facetious. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm bringing this tonight to a reality that I hope you all understand. The Bible said, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So the first verse that some may want to cut out of this old book tonight is Exodus 20, 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It would sure make life a whole lot more fun if you could cheat on your spouse regularly, especially when they're not fulfilling you and satisfying you and all that stuff. Just go find someone else. You can do that if you're willing to walk up here and cut that verse out of this Bible. But God help you if you do. All the Bible words having to do with lust or desire, all the Bible words having to do with that have the concept of selfishness as their root word. The whole essence of lust is being selfish. It's my feelings are the only ones that matters. My spouse doesn't matter. My kids doesn't matter. My parents don't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what anybody thinks. That's where lust has its birth and the more you give into it selfishness becomes lust and the more things you'll do you'll put yourself out there too let me continue on time is going to run out the writer of Hebrews 13 verse 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge I've heard people say, but Pastor God understands. No, he doesn't understand. He has been faithful to millions of people that have lived on this planet. He's never cheated one time, even though they have cheated on him continually and over and over again. He doesn't understand cheating because he's never done it. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Folks, if you understood how many times I've sat in my office or my living room or someone else's living room and said, please don't marry that person, and they do it anyway. Their lives are in shambles and the marriage is falling apart. I don't know what to do. Let me continue on. I've got a bunch of verses here, man. We, we, we could just go to town in this Bible. Um... Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Flee fornication. Um, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything the Bible teaches. So if you are married to someone, to a, to a man that is truly living for God with all of his might, and he wants you to do the same, the Bible said you subject yourself to that. And it will put you under an umbrella of blessing and security and peace and a clear conscience like you don't you just have to understand it works there's families Christ Church is full of families that embrace this teaching if you look at their, their lives 
God has blessed them in more ways than you can imagine. Here's an interesting commandment. Jesus said in John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> that includes your spouse. But I hate her. I hate him. People have told me, Pastor, you don't know what these people have done to me. Do you know what they did to Jesus? You, you can be hurt. You can be disappointed. And you can go through times when you're wobbly on your legs. But the Bible never gives you a license to hate anybody. It doesn't. The Bible said in Ephesians 4.32, To be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. This applies to your spouse, your family, your friends. It applies to everyone. John said in his epistle, If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he loveth not his brother, who, how, for he, uh, he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? There's another interesting verse that some of you may consider cutting out of the old Bible that's not relevant to our society and culture anymore. When the Bible said to abstain from the appearance of evil, there's a lot of things I could say right here, but time's not a friend, and we're going to move on. But these are scriptures that God put in the Bible for a reason. And it's our duty and our job as a church, as a family of God, to uphold them and to obey them whether we agree with it or not. I will say tonight, if you raised your kids with the same posture that you have towards God, how would your kids turn out? When you give yourself a full license and a, a, a full idea and posture of entitlement to do whatever you want regardless of what the Bible says, if you raised your kids that way and let them live that way, what kind of kids would you have when they're adults? You need to think about these things, folks. Um, I don't think this is hard-line teaching. I'm just teaching the Bible tonight. about Deuteronomy 22 5 that the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man neither shall a man put on a woman's garment I read not too long ago in the UK they're encouraging young men to start wearing skirts to school I knew it was coming I didn't know when but I knew sooner or later it's coming there was a time when people would laugh and scorn that and just say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life but now it's here and it won't be long until it's in this country and what are you going to do when your little boy wants to come in and ask you to take him to the mall and go buy him a skirt because the other kids at school are doing it don't look at me like that it's coming this stuff spreads like COVID it doesn't take it long and you know what their license is going to be to do it the girls wear boys' clothes, so why can't boys wear girl clothes? What you don't understand, it's not God being mean here. God has set a standard for a male and for a female, and he wants that upheld. Our world is doing everything in its power to take that identity away. You know that. 
there's not a person here tonight that doesn't know that and somehow we're letting it creep into the church I never thought that Deuteronomy 22 5 40 years ago would be a, a big deal but now it is a big deal it won't be long until the church is going to be accept, expected to accept all kind of stuff I know of a church right now that's Pentecostal in its name but they have people of alternate lifestyles teaching in their Sunday school class is this what we want for a church I don't I've said it over and over and I'm here tonight my bottom line burden is I want to be the pastor of a church that God could rapture I'm not here to please people I'm not here to make you feel warm and fuzzy I want God to rapture you when the trumpet sounds that's my goal and that's my objective I'm not trying to sound like a hero and I'm not trying to sound like a martyr I just want you to be right with God if I didn't feel that way you wouldn't want me here as your pastor here's a New Testament verse that man women nowadays have just they don't believe it if not nature does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair it's a shame unto him but if a woman have long hair it's a glory for her and the glory is given to her her hair is given to her for a covering <laughs> I don't believe that anymore brother Murphy how, how did you come to that revelation how many days did you fast and how many hours did you pray and if God revealed that to you how come he has not revealed that to me how do you come to these proclamations it, it, it births itself in a spirit of selfishness that I want to do what I want to do and I want to be what I want to be and I really don't care what anybody else thinks that's what that's what births it doesn't matter about your spouse your kids your parents I just said that God has a huge reason for all this holiness stuff in the Bible and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the reason. God wants people to be like him. And holiness is the essence of God's nature. He's pure. He's pure. And it's what he wants us to be. Here's another verse that <clears throat> perhaps there's people... You'd like to come. Maybe you can just slip up here and not let anybody really notice that, that, you, that you're coming up to do this. Take this old Bible that's way out of date and it's old and falling apart. <laughs> Brother Murphy, come on. Let's, let's get a life here now. We're in the modern era. No, we're still in the book era. It's where we're living. Everybody say amen. But here's a big one. In Hebrews 10, 25, what do you do with this verse? What do you do with it? Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. What do you do with that verse? But, Brother Murphy, God understands that I can't make it to church all the time, does he? I hope he does. I hope he does. Another verse. You're getting the point tonight, and I'm about done. Jesus said, listen to this. Try to get your head around it. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, 
neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. I read that a number of years ago. And it, 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 it felt like I was, I can't describe the feeling. There's just this light that came on in my head. And I thought about people that I'm toting a grudge and <laughs> they hurt me and I'm not going to forgive them and what have you. And I read that scripture and I thought, my God. If I don't forgive people, then they won't do me. And now it's good to come up here and ask God to forgive me of anything. What do you do with that verse? How do you dissect it? How do you absorb it? Do you believe it? Do you want to gamble your soul on whether, do you think this will keep you out of heaven or no? Oh, God understands. God knows how bad my ex hurt me. God knows how bad my parents hurt me. God knows how bad my church hurt me. God knows how bad my preacher hurt me. He does know, but he don't understand if he's empowered you with the Holy Ghost, why you won't forgive him. That's what God knows. And then a verse that I will conclude with tonight is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 and it's one I hope you all manifest towards me tonight when we're done be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another <coughs> I hope you'll be kind to me tonight when this is done the Bible teaches us not to be slothful in business pay your bills on time you're honest with your money the Bible teaches us to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord fervent rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer these are Bible admonitions they're not options nothing I've read here tonight is an option I can prove to you in the scripture even our Old Testament verses they haven't been done away with None of this has been done away with. So the scripture I read in Hebrews a few moments ago, that when you take these things that you know that you've lived, and you don't do that anymore, you're trampling underfoot the Son of God, the Bible teaches. So in all honesty tonight, had someone had the courage to come for this Bible and cut verses out of it, you would have never got it out of my possession to cut anything out of it. It means too much to me. But I wanted to use it to illustrate the point it's old but it's still applicable because the Bible said God said my word is forever settled in heaven so I'm not going to let you near my Bible and you're not going to rip anything out of it but I want you to understand that you rip pages out of this Bible every day that you don't live up to what it teaches with your lifestyle with your disobedience I've made an effort and it was several months ago I taught a Bible study where I, 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 I lean towards not asking people to believe the Bible anymore as much as I want to ask them to obey it you don't have to believe it to obey it you don't have to get this mighty revelation and God write to you in three different languages and have eight people call you and text you and email you and send you stuff on Facebook that this is what the Bible means. That don't have to happen. 
no more than your kids have to understand anything you tell them to do. You're good with it as long as they obey you. Grace Church, please listen to Pastor. The devil has attacked Grace Church on several fronts, and he's won a few battles. But I'm asking the sleeping giant to awake. We can't live in our spiritual la-la land anymore. And I'm going to ask some folks here tonight to find an altar before you get home or after you get home, whether it's here, go home and put your kids to bed and, and you and your spouse get on beside your bed and you pray your heart out to God give you that hedge back because we're going to need it. The world's not getting better. Every day it's getting worse. Now is the time to fight. Everybody, we must fight for what's right, for what's pure, and for what's good. God bless you tonight. I love you dearly. If I didn't care, I wouldn't go through all of this. And it pains my heart to teach this the way it does. I'll go home tonight and I'll beat myself up for the next three hours before I go to bed. I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want you to go to heaven. And the only way you're going to get there is through what this book teaches you to do. God bless you tonight. Love you dearly. You're dismissed in the wonderful name of Jesus. Lord willing, we'll see you this coming Sunday.